Next Sunday at three o'clock, a king will deliver his Christmas message to the nation, the first for over 70 years. I'm sure most of the content will be leaked ahead of Christmas Day, but it will still be interesting to watch and listen to. No doubt he'll talk about his uh, late mother, the Queen, but will he also mention the continually unfolding Netflix dramas of his own family? Whose photo will be on the desk beside him? Whose won't be? What else will he say about the tumultuous year of 2022? King Charles has certainly had a long time to practice his script, a whole lifetime to think about the sort of king he's going to be. But not as long as the king mentioned in the passage I'd like us to look at together tonight. I hope you'll agree that it's been a wonderful evening so far. Beautiful carols and a beautiful building to sing them in, all woven together with the Christmas story. The story first promised by prophets and then recorded by the gospel writer Luke. And one of those ancient promises, written by the prophet Micah, around 750 years before Jesus' birth, describes him as a king who waited even longer to take his throne than Charles III. Only time will tell what sort of monarch Charles will be. But truth be told, it won't really make much difference to our everyday lives. But the character and accomplishments of the king described in these verses really do affect each and every one of us. You may not be convinced of that this evening. The Christian faith may be a little more than a fairy tale. The Christmas story is simply a feel-good fable for a dark time of year. But let me invite you to listen to these few verses in the same way you'd listen if the king himself picked up the phone and called your number. I'm sure even a die-hard Republican would give him their full attention. Because through his word, the Bible, God claims to address you and me personally. He speaks to us about a king born at Christmas, the king we all need, and the king who can totally transform our lives for the better. Micah the prophet gives us two descriptions of this king. First, the humble king. The humble king. Beginning at verse 1, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. We all witnessed the dreadful scenes of the siege of Mariupol on our TV screens this year. Micah paints a similar picture, although this time those being invaded deserved it. He talks to the city of Jerusalem, under siege by the mighty Assyrian army, the world's superpower at the time. Assyria has already defeated over half of God's people, and now they are breathing down the necks of those who are left. It's just what God had warned his people about. They'd followed other gods, they'd broken his good laws, and now they're getting their just deserts. Even their king is humiliated, struck on the cheek. Think Charles having eggs thrown at him on a recent visit to York. 
only much worse. But suddenly, out of nowhere, from royal humiliation comes royal majesty. Verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. From the clamour and chaos of Jerusalem under siege, Micah takes us just 10 miles away to a town so small it barely featured on the map. Israel's king has been humbled, but God is raising up another king from this humble town. No one would have thought it. Kings are not born in mangers. Their first visitors don't tend to be lowly shepherds. But 750 years after Micah made his promise, the angel in the hills outside of Bethlehem said, today in Bethlehem, the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I heard recently that Charles traces his ancestry all the way back to Alfred the Great. Now I quite enjoy a bit of history, but I have absolutely no idea who Alfred was or why he was great. But Jesus traces his ancestry back to an even greater king, King David, who himself was from Bethlehem. And ever since his reign, God's people had been waiting for another David, a greater one, the Messiah. Until on Christmas night, the angels announced his arrival. God had finally kept his promise. But there is even more here than Jesus being descended from David. The angels called him Lord, that is God's own name. He wasn't only the long-awaited king, he was the eternal God himself. As Micah said, his origins are from of old, from ancient times, from all eternity. As we read in another famous Christmas reading from the Gospel of John, the word, God himself, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, Jesus was God's promised king, but also the humble king. Why did he come humbly? Surely he didn't need to. He was God himself. Well, he did it to show us that he came to be the king for the humble, not the proud. As someone has said, God chose an ordinary home so no innkeeper could boast. He chose the comfort of my inn God chose a manger so that no carpenter could boast. He chose the craftsmanship of my bed. God chose Bethlehem so no one could boast the greatness of our city meant that God had to choose us. I wonder if there is something that you are boasting about in your heart today. An area of success in your work or your family life. A track record of of being just a pretty good person. A religious checklist with more pluses than minuses on it. You reach the end of 2022 and, and you give yourself just a quiet, discreet pat on the back for that. And if God were ever to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom, into heaven? You might just answer with one of those things. One of those things you're just a little bit proud of.
But Christmas reminds us that that is not how God operates, not one bit. He sent Jesus, the humble king, because he wanted to convince you and me that he is not impressed by our bigness. He simply wants us to be humble and to depend upon him. Apparently, the former president of Uruguay used to give away 90% of his annual income. He chose to live on his wife's ramshackle farm instead of the presidential palace. No wonder he was incredibly popular. But even that humility is put in the shade by Jesus. Christmas tells us about the most humble ruler the world has ever seen and will ever see. And Jesus invites us to come to him as the king with humility in our hearts. But what do we receive if we do that? Why is it worth being humble before Jesus? Well, let's move on to Micah's second description of him. Second, the peace-bringing king. The peace-bringing king. Back in our reading, verse 3. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour gives uh, bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. We go back to where we began briefly. God's people abandoned under his judgment because of their sin. But hope is on the horizon. A son will be born. A son who is none other than the royal prince born in Bethlehem. Promised by another prophet. We heard that earlier. Isaiah chapter 7, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. For the first time ever this year, I found myself watching the celebrities in the jungle. And in one episode, Mike Tyndall had to answer questions with a few others to win treats for camp. The question that stumped them was actually about his wife. Where in the line of royal succession is Zara Tyndall? And he got it wrong. But who cares? Who cares how many people are ahead of Zara in the queue? Mike Tyndall certainly doesn't care. It doesn't matter one bit. Not so with Jesus. The years passed and sons were born into the Israelite royal family. By then just a shadow of its former glories. A little like the German royal family, a member of which was at the centre of a crazy coup plot a few weeks ago. But eventually, on Christmas night, a virgin wrapped her baby in cloths and placed him in a manger. The first in God's line of royal succession was born. And what a kingdom he'd bring in. Just look at his royal manifesto. Verse 4. And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. Jesus is the peace-bringing king. Notice he doesn't kick back in a first-class lounge before taking a private jet to mingle with the great and the good. What does he do? He stands ready to serve us 
as a shepherd. It is always the smallest children who play the part of sheep in a nativity play. But the Bible says that sheep are a perfect picture of you and me. We scrabble around trying to meet our own needs and the needs of those closest to us. But what we really need is someone to shepherd us. And those shepherds outside of Bethlehem are a great picture of that need. Hardened, toughened characters, used to fighting off wolves and bears, staying up all hours to protect their precious flock. Jesus came to be a shepherd like that. Not a cuddly character who gives us a cosy feeling inside, like the Norwegian word hugger, or however it is you pronounce it, but a strong and dependable protector. Jesus isn't prone to human weakness. He is endowed with God's strength. He stands in the strength of the Lord. Jesus isn't a ruler full of fine-sounding policies, but consistently thwarted by reality. He stands in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Jesus isn't a pretender to the throne, like that minor German aristocrat Heinrich XIII at the centre of that coup attempt. He has all the authority of God himself. And so his birth was announced by God's own angels. He said, my very own peace-bringing king has arrived. As the angels sang, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. The end of war in Ukraine, a reduction in knife crime on London streets, reconciliation in broken families, calmness in place of crippling mental anxiety. When we read of peace on earth at Christmas, perhaps we're inclined to sigh, shrug our shoulders and say, really? Maybe next year. But Jesus came to bring the deepest and most significant peace of all. Peace between human beings and God. Just as the people of old had turned their backs on God, so have we. Just as they were abandoned by God, so we face the spiritual abandonment of death for all eternity. But as the angel said, Jesus came to be the saviour, to restore and repair the broken relationship between God and man. At the end of his book, the prophet Micah describes it like this. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives transgressions. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Jesus did not stay in a manger. He grew up and showed God's compassion, forgiveness, mercy, and love to all he met. But then he died on a cross, bearing the judgment we deserve for sin in our place. And so if we trust him, we can receive that peace of relationship with God, as one of the readings still to come in our service will remind us. 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, it really is worth being humble before God. Because if we are, he gives us the very best thing we could ever have to boast about. Himself. None of us deserve to be part of his kingdom. The things we boast about, the things we're proud of, those things can't get us into heaven. But Jesus can. Which is why he really is the king we all need. We don't know what sort of king Charles will be. But we already know everything we need to know about Jesus. And so this evening, if you are already trusting Jesus as your king and saviour, keep on doing that with all humility. As the shepherds did, glorify and praise God for everything you know and believe about him. But if you're not yet convinced, can I encourage you to do what the shepherds did before they did that? They said to each other, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They realised that the news they'd heard was too significant to ignore. They looked at the evidence, investigated and reached their own conclusions. Would you do that? There are a few ways you could. First, take one of the booklets you were given on the way in. It's a simple explanation of the Christian faith. You can read it in less time than it takes you to write your Christmas cards. Second, ask a friend why they believe what they believe. They might not have all the answers to all your questions, but I'm sure they'd love to tell their story to you. Third, come along to church whenever you like. It's definitely not a place just for those who've got it all figured out. It's for you too. And finally, why not try out Hope Explored starting on 11th of January for three weeks. It's a simple three-week course looking at what Christians believe from Luke's eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. You can come with a friend, ask whatever questions you like. We would love to have you there. As the student, through his carefully chosen eggs at King Charles in York, he shouted, not my king. But the fact is, he is. What about this king? Promised long ago through the prophet, born to a virgin in Bethlehem, announced by angels, witnessed and visited by shepherds. He's the humble king, the peace-bringing king, is he your king?